0: And take out your Bibles and open them up with me to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 16. Actually, we're going to be looking at the last few verses of 15 as we start today. But go to 16. It's easier to go backwards a couple of verses. Acts chapter 16. We continue looking at the history of the early church as Luke records for us. We have seen in the last couple of chapters how... The Holy Spirit, working in the church in Antioch, separated, its, he said, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for a work that I have uniquely selected for them to do. And, and Paul and Barnabas then set out with a young man named Mark to, on a, the first missionary journey, if you would. And they went to the island of Cyprus and then back onto the mainland. They went through uh, several, several towns, including Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Pisidian, Antioch, and then facing much persecution and difficulty in addition to the, the fact that God was growing this church, this the, the believers coming to know the Lord Jesus in every city that they went to, but facing very difficult persecution and trials. And then they make their way back through and come back to Antioch, report to them all that God has been doing. But there was a problem then that it arose within the church in Antioch with some who came in and said, Well, hey, this whole Jesus thing is great, but you still have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul says, Hold up, that's not true. And so they go down to Jerusalem and they meet with the council there in Jerusalem and come to them. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, where they came back and they said, Truthfully, you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. We talked about some other things that they had they had discussed about how how we have harmony with one another and personal holiness and the like. But that's where we've left off. And that's where we pick up today in verse 36 of chapter 15. And it says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every, every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord. And see how they are. Now, as I began this week and started reading through the text and kind of initially thinking, man, you know, where are we gonna go? How far are we gonna go? And looking through this, I have to tell you, when I read verse thirty-five and I read or thirty-six here and read through it a few times, I was like, Wow, there's there's a lot in this verse that we could easily miss. Just in reading through, we could look at this almost as a transition from where we left last time into into chapter 16, but there's so much more in this. When we look at what is actually said here and the words that are used in this, it's important that we don't miss it because he says this word, he says, let us return and visit the brethren in every city and see how they're doing. That word visit, when we just use that in casual conversation, what does that mean? That we're just going to go somewhere, right? Well, if we're going to go visit the Grand Canyon, we're just going to drive up and check out the Grand Canyon. We're going to go visit grandma and grandpa. That means we just go over to their house. But this word that's used here, translated visit, has way more meaning than that. As a matter of fact, the Greek word that is translated visit, episkeptomai, the root of it means to notice and to look out for. It's the same word translated in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. This way it says, But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you will remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him. That's the word, concerned. It's not just visiting physically. It's taking great concern there is, there is there's action involved. There is, there is an action with a purpose. And when we look at this, Luke uses this same word, episkeptomai, three times in his gospel. And two of them are when John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, is prophesying about the coming Messiah, the incarnation of Jesus, visiting us, becoming one of us. He says in Luke chapter 1, verse 68, you can drop these down, read it later on your own. Luke one sixty-eight. for he, the Lord, has visited and redeemed his people. Luke 1, the day spring from on high has visited us. Jesus taking such personal concern in us that he took on human flesh to become one of us. And it says that, you know, let's go visit them, again, taking personal concern, and see how they're doing. When I read that this week, I was personally challenged, and I have been. I got to tell you, every one of you this morning that I said, hi, how you doing, I took a pause. Because so often, so often, isn't that just the second half of what we say to somebody? Hi, how you doing? That's not what Paul said. That's not what Paul meant. And guys, it has to be way more than that for us. When we say, how you doing? We have to have genuine care and concern for one another. And I'm not saying you don't. But let me take this to the level that I know Paul was talking about when he said this to Barnabas. He did not say, hey, let's go, let's go back around to these places where we've been and see how they're doing physically. Let's see how they're doing emotionally. Let's check in and make sure they're all doing okay financially. That's not what he meant, and so often that's our response, right? And what's the what's what's our response afterwards? And I love it that it's kind of spreading around that it's I'm blessed and we are, Amen. But most of the time, when in our casual conversation with one another, it's how you doing, fine? How you doing, fine? (laughs) How are you doing? and taking genuine concern. Guys, if we, if we purpose within our hearts to visit one another and check on how we're doing, it goes past the physical, emotional, financial. It goes to the spiritual. How are you doing with the Lord? We need to care about enough about one another to ask that question that way. How are you doing with the Lord? How are you doing in your prayer life? How are you doing in your personal life? Walk with the Lord. How are you doing in your time in the Word? Where are you, where are you reading in the Word? Oh, I haven't been. Bro, you got to get on the stick, man. What do you mean you haven't been reading? you got to be in the Word every day. We need to hold each other. That's what checking up on how are you doing really means. Why is that so important? Because everything else comes off of that. Everything else, how we are doing, is directly proportional to how we're doing with the Lord. The psalmist wrote it this way, Psalm chapter 1, speaking of a man who is blessed, he said, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. He talks of this this beautiful picture, this illustration, and it's so true. Let's just look at a tree. If you if you go buy a tree, a healthy tree and you take it home and you take care of its its emotional, physical, financial needs, you dig a, a hole for it, you place it in the hole, you take care of its its physical needs by putting this great mulch around it and all of this kind of stuff. You take care of its financial needs by planting a bunch of other expensive flowers around and all this other. Take care of its emotional needs by talking to it. I heard that works. You know, you go on you talk to the tree, but you don't water it. What happens? The tree dies. But if you water it and you don't talk to it and you don't do all those other but you water it, what's going to happen? The roots are going to go down deep. And that's the whole point of what the psalmist is saying here. You the, you are blessed. You are like that tree. We are blessed when we are drinking in the word. When we are spending time with the Lord, when we are praying. And when we're all doing that, guess what happens to roots when they go down? They also go out and they get all intertwined as these trees go around. And what a beautiful picture of us as we are taking genuine concern for one another. Guys, it all feeds on that. So let me ask you with genuine concern, how are you doing? How are you doing in your prayer life? How are you doing in your daily walk with the Lord? How are you doing in your time in His Word, devotionally? And I encourage you that if you're struggling in any area, focus on that area. Focus on that area. Hold each other accountable. Husbands, hold your wives accountable. Wives, hold your husbands accountable. Friends, all of us, let's let's take that on as an initiative with us that we care enough about each other to ask those questions. Well, moving on, verse 37, they make the determination that this is what they're going to do. But look what happens next, verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And their encounter, they, and there occurred, I'm sorry, such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. and he traveled through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Interesting turn of events here, right? Here we see Paul and Barnabas going, this, this, this dynamic duo, this team that God used so powerfully, here coming into such a sharp disagreement over a man named Mark. I mentioned to you earlier, Mark went with them initially on that first journey, but when they left Cyprus and made landfall again, Mark took off. He left them, and he went back to Jerusalem. And we can tell by Paul's remarks in the and how it's laid out here that they were counting on Mark, that he was playing an important role, and he just abandoned them and left left them holding the bag with the rest, you know, to do all of this work. And so we see here two spirit-filled men, Paul and Barnabas. Two men that were separated for the work of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. We saw that back in chapter four, separate for me Paul and Barnabas. But coming into such a major argument, that word that's used here to speak of the the sharp disagreement, that means this this got it to a heated argument between the two of them. So much so that they separated. They went two separate ways. And we look at it, we can get a kind of a a picture just looking at the two of them, the, the, the personalities that they had just by what we already know. Man, Paul is what? He's a man on a mission. Nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to slow me down. God has called me for this. Full steam ahead. And I don't have time to mess around with things that are going to slow down the mission. He is insistent that the work go forward without Mark. Now, we look at Barnabas. And what we know of Barnabas is he was such an encourager to other people that his name, they changed it. His, na- his name, his birth name was Joseph. Nobody called him Joseph. Everybody called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's, that just, it just oozed out of him so much that that's what everybody called him. And he's like, he, was, he was determined to take Mark along, to restore him, to give him a second chance. Paul came about it for basically saying, what good can he do for the work of the Lord now? But Barnabas looked at it saying, well, what good could the work of the Lord do for him now? Two totally different ways of looking at the same situation. And we see Mark kind of caught in the middle of this. I wonder how much of the discussion Mark was hearing. (laughs) And what it made him feel like as he was hearing this going on. No doubt he was feeling discouraged already no doubt maybe even feeling man i blew it i had i had this opportunity to be a part of this and i've totally blown it but god is not done with mark but we look at this again and we look at paul and barnabas who's right who's wrong could they both be right and both be wrong i think so there are some that look at this and and speculate that because Paul now, we're not going to hear, after this, we're not going to hear about Barnabas again. We're going to hear nothing but Paul's journeys going forward. And some say because of that, because Paul is mentioned ongoing and Barnabas never mentioned again, that it must be because Paul is right and Barnabas is wrong. But I just want to point out to you, I'm I'm not buying that completely because there's several people that aren't mentioned again. Peter, John, Andrew's never mentioned So I I don't put a lot of weight in that. We could look at the fruit of the ministry and we could say, man, look at at the fruit. Look at all of the the ministry that Paul did in, in Ephesus. And we just look at the books he wrote, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, you know, all of this stuff. Look at all of that fruit. But I could point to say, look at the fruit that Barnabas had. Mark. Mark, because Mark is after Barnabas taking him under his wing and going forward, Mark is going to be one that Peter personally uses in ministry later on. Mark is going to be the one, yes, that writes the gospel of Mark. Mark is going to be the one that Paul later says this about at the end of his life, while Paul is in prison in Rome, says this, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Who's right? Who's wrong? I think again, both right, both wrong. Both need to be able to work together in in unity and taking the best of both and working together. Is is God pleased with this situation that's taken down here? I don't believe so. His desire for His church is unity. His desire for each one of us is to learn how to work together in unity. And He tells us the prescription, right? We talk about this often. We place one another's needs above our own. We, We say that your needs are more important than mine. And if we all do that, guess what? Everybody's looking out for me, and I'm looking out for you. But even though God's not pleased, God is sovereign, and God uses all things, right, for his glory, he makes two missionary teams out of this. Barnabas and Mark go one way, Paul and Silas go another. And you know what, as as bad as this story is, as we see this little piece here, and as bad as this is gonna sound, it kind of encourages me. It it should give us all hope, right? Because if God only used perfect people who got along perfectly all the time, he'd never get anything done with us. We, guys, we need to focus on unity. We need to focus on placing others' needs ahead of our own. We need to focus on listening to one another and encouraging one another and where there's differences, figure out a godly way to work through those. And here it is, guys, if there comes a point when you need to separate from someone or somewhere because of a disagreement that you just can't rectify, do it in a godly way. Don't separate and backbite and talk about them and all this other kind of stuff. You go away and you glorify God every step. There is nowhere mentioned that Paul went around saying, "Yeah, Barnabas and Barnabas and Mark." blah, yeah, well, you know, blah, blah blah blah. I guarantee you, he was praying for them. I guarantee you, Mark and Barnabas were praying for Paul and Silas. We need to continually rely on the Lord, His grace. Verse 40, I love this, the church committed them, handed them over to the grace of God. It's all based on his grace. Silas joins the team with Paul. I think it's interesting back in verse 34, it says, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Silas was from Jerusalem. He came up with the group after the Jerusalem council to help add weight to the, the decision that was made as it was delivered to the church there in Antioch. But when everybody else went back to Jerusalem, it said, it seemed right to Silas that he stick around. Hmm. I think it seemed right for God, to God that Silas stick around. And so he placed that in his heart, saying, Hey, stick around. I got work for you to do here. Providence of God plugging him in at this point. And notice again, verse 41, I love this strengthening the churches, tying back into what we had talked about initially, visiting them, seeing how they are, strengthening the churches. Well, chapter 16. Paul and obviously Silas with him came also to Derby and to Lystra and a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts for they knew that his father was a Greek now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Here we see again, This is they're heading out now in a, in a new direction. We're going to look at a map in a minute, but they go back in a return of, of, of kind of a reverse order of the cities that they went to the first time and it's a pro, you know, three to five years after they had done this before and they're heading back through, going back through these places and notice one well, of the places where they go and we're going to highlight here in, in, as we stop here for a second, Lystra those of you who were with us a couple of weeks ago, remember what happened to Paul in Lystra, that's the city where he healed the man God healed him through Paul. But then the people that saw it, they said, Oh, this must be Zeus and Hermes that have visited us here. And they tried to do sacrifices and worship Paul and Barnabas, and they tore their clothes and they said, Absolutely not. Almighty God has healed him. We're men just like you. And this, this, along with other things that had been stirred up within the crowd, incensed them so much that they stoned Paul and drug him out of the city and left him for dead. That's Lystra. Paul goes back there. That amazes me. But he goes back there again with a purpose and, a, and, a, and a, to, to strengthen the church that is there, to encourage them, to visit them and see how they're doing. And while he's there, notice, there's a disciple named Timothy. He's a young believer. We see here his mother. He's got a Jewish mother. Her name is Eunice. But a Greek father... And we don't know anything else about him other than he is Greek, probably deceased at this time. But we know some things about Timothy. Notice that he has good character. It says that he is well spoken of. And not just in Lystra. Not just in the little church that's there, but in Lystra, the city, and Iconium, the city. A neighboring city. He's got good character, a Christian man who is upstanding in the community, and it's noticed. Paul will later write to Timothy, many years later, speaking of the requirements of being an elder, a leader in the church. And one of them, he says, is that they must have a good good reputation with those outside the church. And here we see that that already, as a young man, Timothy had that. But we also know that this young man, this believer, had the godly influence of his mother and his grandmother, pouring into him, his mother and his grandmother. It tells Paul writing Second Timothy chapter 1, this, uh, the, the second letter to Timothy, he said, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. So important, we can never underestimate the value of a godly influence as parents and grandparents. Here we see that influence on this young boy Timothy, and as he grows up then, becoming a believer himself. We spoke of this on Wednesday night if you were here. If you were not, it's important that we also understand though that it is not the faith of parents or grandparents that saves children. And if you are a young person here today, or an old person here today, that is relying on the faith of your parents or your grandparents to get to heaven, to have your sins forgiven, you, that, that's not how it happens. It has to be a personal relationship with Jesus. You have to make that decision yourself, personally. But a godly influence helps Godly influence of of parents and grandparents. Parents, grandparents, take notice. Continue to influence those that God has placed in your care. But not just the godly influence of his mom and grandma. Notice also the godly example of Paul. This is Paul's second trip, actually third trip, to Lystra. He got stoned, left for dead, went on to Derby, went back to Lystra all the way around. Now we're back to Lystra again. Again. In one of those first couple of visits is when Timothy becomes a believer. We believe that, that Paul was the one who led him to faith because two times in his writings, Paul refers to Timothy as a child in the faith, one that he led to the faith. And he even speaks of it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 how, how Timothy was influenced by his example. He says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and 11, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. It's important that we are godly influences to our children and grandchildren, but guys, we also have to be a godly example to those outside of our immediate family, to other believers. A godly example to someone else that we need to be mentoring and pouring into in our lives. It's important that we we are all discipled by someone but also that we are discipling someone, that we are being poured into and that we are pouring out into someone else. That that not just sharing the Word with them, but letting them see the example in our lives as Paul lays it out there. You've seen it. You witnessed it. You saw how God was faithful in everything that I went through. And we need to be sharing that as an example with those younger than us. Not just in age, but in Maturity and spiritual maturity. But through this godly influence and godly example, Timothy comes to be a believer, such a man of, of great, great character and, and standing in, this, in the, the church and outside of the church. Paul decides and, des- and desires to take him with him as they go on, go on in their journey. But notice what he does first. He has him circumcised. What? Didn't we talk about that two weeks ago? That Paul was the one championing the cause that says you don't need to be circumcised. So what's this all about? Did he change his mind? Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, in in Galatians chapter 2, it talks about another young man named Titus who came along and did work with, with Paul who he said he did not have circumcised. So what's the difference? Titus was a Gentile. Timothy was a Jew. And his mother being Jewish. Father being Greek. Because his father's Greek, it tells us right here why. Paul knew that the people that they were going to go and be ministering to, at least initially, many of them knew that Timothy's dad was a Greek, so he probably wasn't circumcised. So to avoid a possible offense to any Jewish people that they were going to have an opportunity to minister to he had them circumcised now there's a second part of that that's, that's important Paul having Timothy circumcised is one thing but Timothy's not a baby Timothy's a young adult so Timothy had to go along with it <laughs> and so we see the heart of Timothy As a matter of fact, the New Living Translation of this verse says, in deference to the Jews, in respect to them, in consideration for them, placing their concerns over my comfort. The sacrifice that he was willing to make in order to more effectively minister to them. I think this is cool. This is one of those this cool you know, God things, the little nuggets that God gives you as you meditate on his word. This morning, as I was saying, so, so you, got, you get this? Last night they didn't. Um, this morning, when I was just reading through the text again, notice a word in chapter 5 that's so important. Let me read it without it. I'm going to read 3-5. Read through five. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him to, be, to circumcise him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for, for them to observe. The churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. What word did I leave out? so it doesn't sound like a big deal until you understand so is one of those conjunctions that ties together two things it ties together verse 5 with verses 3 and 4 verse 5 says the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number because of what happened in verses 3 and 4 what happened in verses 3 and 4 Verse 4 says, they're bringing this message that says, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 3 says, Timothy was circumcised. They get this message, and then they say to Timothy, why would you do that? Because I care about you. Because I didn't want anything to come between you and knowing Jesus because Jesus loves you and so do I because of the grace that's been shown me by the Lord Jesus, no sacrifice was too big in order to get that news to you C.T. Studd said this, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him Paul was faithful with the message of salvation. And Timothy was faithful to what God asked him to do, to sacrifice for the purpose of the gospel. And look what happened. The church is strengthened, and the church grew daily. Some of the things that we categorize as sacrifices... But God often will ask us to give up something. Are we willing? For the furtherance of the gospel? For the blessing of the saints? For ministering to one another? Well, again, as we continue, chapter 6 begins an interesting turn of events in the progression of the gospel as they go forward. Notice it says, they passed through the Pergian and Galatian region. That's the area we've been talking about now. We've been talking about Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Pisidian, Antioch. That's the Galatian region leading into the, the Pergian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on, the day, on the, the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out the gate, outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, it's an interesting turn of events that takes place here, and we have a map that's a little difficult to, to see here, but I want to try to point out a couple of things to you. Over here we have, and I don't know if everybody can kind of see that, I'll try to get out of the way, I only could do this on one map, and sorry to everybody who's maybe watching online later. Um... Here's where they've been, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Here's the Galatia region, see Galatia there and Pamphylian region here. And now they're moving in this direction. Here is Asia where it says, that's, that's Asia Minor, that's not Asia today, modern day Turkey in this area. And as they're heading this way, it's Paul's desire to go down this direction and share the gospel. Notice what town is right here, if you can't read it, it's Ephesus. Now that would make sense, Bible students, right. You've just been in Galatia. What follows Galatians? Ephesians. So that would make sense that that's where he would want to go next. Okay, that was a little (laughs) attempt at Bible humor. But as he's going on that trajectory, notice what happens. It says the Holy Spirit forbade him to go that direction. Then he wants to go up this way, Bithynia. He wants to go up north, and it says the Spirit of Jesus said no, would not allow him. So they move on then to Troas. That's where he receives the vision. Then to Samothrace, then to Neapolis, and over here is Philippi. So little kind of see the, the chart where they're going. Now, when we look at this, the first point that I, I want to I come to is that that Paul had his, his itinerary, right? He had it set. He was ready to go. I got this. This is where we're going. This is great. This all makes sense and everything like that. But guys, it's God's plan. It's His process. His will, His way, right? Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. But the Lord directs his steps. Guys, we make plans. We should make plans. That's what we should con- be thinking, praying ahead, making plans. But as we're going, we have to let the Lord direct our steps. And at times, he's going to say, I know you were planning to do this, but I have other plans. And notice, too, I love that this is that one of these things. Again, I've, I've said this before, but it bears repeating because it's right here in the text. What's our natural reaction when we're going on the work of the Lord and we're heading this way and, oh man, this only makes sense that this is right and something happens. Who do we blame? The devil, right? Oh, the enemy's coming against me. Oh, right? The Holy Spirit (laughs) forbade him. The Spirit of Jesus stopped them from going. Guys, never forget, it's His mission. The Lord said, go into all the world. The Lord said, make disciples of all nations. His mission. But guys, we can never forget it's his methods that will allow his mission to be successful. He determines the who and the what and the when and the where and the how. He determines that. And I like it that way. I really do. If you've ever, I, I have tried so many do-it-yourself projects at home that have ended in absolute disaster. <laughs> I love it that it's up to Him. And I follow His steps every way. Psalm 37, 23, 24, one of my favorite psalms. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and He delights in His way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds His hand. A couple of things looking at it. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. Guys, if the steps of a man are established, so are the stops of a man. We have to be willing to walk where Jesus says, and we have to be able to stop when He says stop. And when we do that, it says when we fall, not if, we're still going to stumble. We're still going to run into difficulties from time to time. But we won't fall headlong. We won't fall completely off. Why? Because he's got us by the hand. His all-powerful hand. Guys, when the steps are ordained, the stumbles are contained. And when the steps are ordained, the outcome has been proclaimed. Jesus said, I will build my church. He will build it. He lets us be a part, but he's building it. Guys, in this, in this walk that we have as we're following along the steps that we're taking, when they're ordained by the Lord, guys, there's three directives that come from Him. There's three. And we need to be obedient no matter which three He chooses to say at any particular time. The first one is no. And it's so funny, us in our nature, right? When somebody, when, when, when somebody says no, we learn this from a little kid, right? And it, that doesn't change even now when we're with God. When it, with a little kid, what is a child's reaction when you say no? What do you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? No! <laughs> we, want, we want further explanation behind no. So I looked up some synonyms when God says no. It, synonyms for no. Absolutely not. Most certainly not. Of course not. Under no circumstances that's what no means and I don't think I don't think it's a bad thing from the right heart that the most the first word a child usually hears and the most often repeated word a child hears when they're growing up is no but that's a good thing right I mean can I stick this knife in the outlet no can I go play in the street no Can I cut my sister's hair? No. (laughs) And then, no being the most common word used, what's the second most common phrase as parents? There you go, because I said so. And that's a good thing, too. Because when God says no, it's because He said so. And because He knows what's best. He knows his plan he knows what's next we could ask paul might be saying god the people have to hear the gospel in ephesus and he goes i know and guess what paul you're going to tell them just not right now you're going to be you're going to loop back around and you're going to hit ephesus but they have to hear it up in bithynia i know i got somebody else planned for that you just go where i'm calling you to go you just follow the steps that i'm Laying out. So the first one, no. The second one, whoa. That means stop. That means wait. If you guys were up at the men's retreat last week, the first message, wait. We, taught, we sang that earlier. Our strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. That means literally to cling to Him and to just wait. Our strength will rise. We need to pray for clear direction for the next step in that time in that process praying waiting how long as long as it takes until he says move on there was a period of time of waiting in Troas we don't know how long but we know it was a time and you know what happens when we wait God God it doesn't stop working while we're waiting He's bringing in other things. He's moving other pieces. God never stops. Guess what happens while they're waiting in Troas for God's next step? God adds somebody to the team. Notice this. This is kind of cool. Just A very subtle thing takes place. In verse 7, After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas. Look at verse 10. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Luke joins the team. And Luke's not just some guy that joins the team. Luke is an amazing man. We know that just by the few things that are mentioned about him. First of all, he's very humble. He writes the gospel of Luke and acts and he hardly ever, I mean, that's as much as you know about him, as he says we and us. He doesn't go into any kind of description about us. Paul tells us, Paul tells us that he was not only a physician, a doctor, but a beloved physician, loved by those that he came in contact with. That he was loyal. We know that. We read the verse earlier. When Paul is at the end of his life in a Roman prison, It says, he said, Luke alone is with me. Everybody else had deserted him. Luke stayed with him. We know that he was a hard worker. Paul refers to him as a fellow worker in the ministry. So, if he says no, that means the door's closed. If he says whoa, that means the door's hidden. If he says go, that means the door is open. So how do we respond in obedience when the door is open? I love the outline. We get some great ideas or uh, indication right here in the text. Look at verse 10. We, We are obedient when the door is open, when we proceed without delay. It says, immediately, immediately, without delay. Verse 11, without distraction. It says, they ran a straight course. And that is so often sometimes that can happen to us, right? We set off right away. God says, go. And man, we're going and we're moving. And all of a sudden, squirrel. Right? Right off track. Man, I I know God's calling me to do something. And man, he's laying it on my heart. And I just know that I got football. Without delay, without distraction. Verse 12 is interesting to me. They came. They, they get off, they, they go on this straight course. In two days, tra- traverse this area in, by sea. They land, they get off the boat. What don't they see? A man from Macedonia saying, here you are. i got to think, if I'm Paul, I'm stepping off that boat looking for the guy in the vision, right? And he's not there. So without discouragement when things don't go immediately as we're moving forward as we thought they would we need to keep on keeping on it says that they stayed in philippi they didn't move past that staying waiting praying for further instructions they didn't disengage they stayed praying using a little sanctified common sense hey it's saturday Let's go down by the river, because that's where they'll normally congregate if it's not big enough to have a synagogue, so let's head on down there. And then, I said, I'm not really good at this, but I try every once in a while. Without delay, without distraction, without discouragement, without disengagement, I had to come up with another D word in verse 13, without dogmatism. Without being dogmatic about something, without saying, this is the way I always do it. We're going to do it this way because that's the way we've always done it. Guys, we can't put God in a box. God wants to work in ways that are so far beyond us, and he will, I promise you this, he will stretch you. He will put you in a place that you're uncomfortable in. He's going to change things the way that you're used to doing them. That's just that's the way he does things. Paul, like I mentioned, there's no synagogue in Philippi. That's a problem for Paul, because what does he do every time he goes to a city? He goes to the synagogue. He's like, God, that's how I roll. There's no synagogue here. So what does he do? He goes down to the river, because if there's no synagogue, that's where they're supposed to meet. So he's probably figuring that there's not 10 men to start a synagogue, so let's go down there and hang out with the eight guys and their wives. They get down there. Guess how many guys? Handful of ladies gathering together, praying. So they take advantage of the situation. They start sharing the word. This prayer meeting turns into a gospel presentation, and look what happens. Verse 14 A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. When she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Because they were obedient and followed those steps, didn't go where God said no, stopped when he said woe, and went when he said go. Look what happened. So how do we know the difference? How do, we, how do we get that? How do we get there? How do, how do we know when it's go? Well, you're going to have a peace. God will give you a peace about it. A peace that you can't explain. Something that you know that it's from the Lord. He's going to give you provision And I'm not just financial, and that's not what I mean. If that's the case, he will provide the financial provision as well. But he's going to, he'll open doors, things will happen that will be, again, only by his hand. Pastor Chuck used to say, where God guides, God provides, right? I think it's also interesting here as we look at this, not just peace and provision, but also partnership. Look at verse 10 again. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach. They got together, they prayed, they sought the Lord, and they came to the conclusion together that this is what God was calling them to do. Now, I know that this, this whole idea of God's will for our life goes, is, a, is a lot bigger than what we're talking about here. And how, how many want to know what God's will is for your life? You know what? I I let it out last night I wasn't planning before last night but I said it last night so I'll say it to you because I've already committed to doing it you want to know what God's will is for your life? let me ask that again you want to know what God's will is for your life? okay come back on Wednesday Wednesday night we're going to take a break from 2 Kings and we're going to look into because God wants us to know God wants us each individually to know what his will is for our lives and we can know So you come back Wednesday and you might say, well, that's a pretty cheap way to get me to come to church on Wednesday. Well, guilty. (laughs) And if you can't make it Wednesday, we do record it, put it on the website, but come back Wednesday. We're going to, we're going to take a look at that. But in closing here, really quickly, look at what happens. God opens this woman, Lydia's heart to receive. The two things that take place in this. Here we see beautifully the picture of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. We see the favor of God and the faith of Lydia. God showed His favor to her by opening her heart to respond, but she had to respond. And she did. And her and her whole household then become believers and are baptized. And she then extends the hand of, of, of fellowship to invite them into her home and stay. Beautiful picture of how, how that works. She heard that Jesus died for her, took paid the full penalty for her sin, and she accepted him as her Lord and Savior. A lot of stuff in here. <laughs> Would you stand? Let's pray. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never made that step. You've never made that personal commitment to invite Jesus into your life, into your heart, to forgive your sin and to give you eternal life. I know that God is opening your heart right now to respond. I know that's His promise. And if that is you, I want to invite you to respond right now. And if that's you, simply in your heart right now, you go before the Lord and you say, God, I am a sinner. I know that my life is not pleasing to you. No matter how hard I've tried, I've continued to fail. And I thank you for revealing that to me now in a a whole new way. I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you paid the full penalty for my sin. So right now, I ask you to come into my life. Come into my heart. You take over. Forgive me of all of my sin. Give me the gift, the gift of eternal life. I want to make you Lord now. You take control of my life. I want to follow from now on the steps that you put before me. And Lord Jesus, for all of us who call you Lord, Lord, It truly is our desire to walk in a manner worthy of that. Lord, no sacrifice that you would ever ask us to make would be too much because of the incredible sacrifice you made for us. Lord, strengthen our love for one another, our concern for one another. Lord, that when we visit one another, it truly is with a heart of compassion and love and care. Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you for the importance of it in our lives. And as we drink it in, Lord, we know that we are strengthened. And Lord, our desire truly is to understand your will for us, that we would clearly hear when you say no, when you say woe, when you say go. And Lord, our heart is to be obedient. thank you for your very clear word and direction to us. And Lord, now as we, as we worship you, we pray that you are pleased by the worship that comes to you from those that you have cleansed with hands and hearts, Lord, that we, that we lift up to you. We praise you together.